In First Kings chapter 7, it's a magnificent structure uh, overlaid with gold. Uh, we saw that, um, that Solomon uh, had this, this massive workforce that was working on the temple. But you recall in verse 21, let me read it to you. Then he set up the pillars by the festival, or that is um, the entrance of the temple. He set up the pillar on the right and called his name Jacob. And he set up the pillar on the left and called his name Boaz. And you recall that as we were talking about this, that Jacob means he shall establish. And then that other pillar means um, in him is strength. And it was to remind the people of that God had established this nation, and it was by his strength that they would continue. And I think that it's worth reminding us at this time in our study and on this day as we see all the things that are going around, that he shall establish us and that he is our strength. And that's what I hope that we give a message to others because, again, Many of you, you know people that have been affected by what's going on here in, in Weld County with the, the crops and, and the drought, or perhaps you know somebody who lives up in the mountains that's been affected, lost a home, or you have friends or family down in Colorado Springs, that the message that we give is that he shall establish. And he has established us, hasn't he? He's established us in his love. He's established us in his grace. He has saved us. And we can always fall back on that, that, Lord, that, that you are our blessing. And, Lord, that you have established us and that, Lord, you're the one that's going to strengthen us and help us get through these times that we go through our lives personally, that, that we see other people go through, uh, the loss and, and the, the, the tragedy that we see around us happening that the Lord is the strength, and he's the answer. So my prayer is that you would always point people to the Lord. And it's in those times we don't always know what to say, but we can point them to Jesus. We can encourage them to be established in the Lord, in, in his love, and in the promises of the Lord, and that he is the one that will give us strength to get through this time and um, to get through our own lives and the difficulties that we go through. So let's continue here in 1 Kings chapter 7. I hope that was an encouragement to you. But as we continue looking at the, the uh, temple that Solomon is building, again, this is magnificent. He's overlaying the temple with gold. Even the floors of the temple are made of pure gold. And you recall that the temple itself has two rooms, the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. But in that, he made these, these cherubim that are 15 feet high. Uh, can you imagine them, you know, is uh, probably almost as high as the ceiling. I guess the ceiling is maybe 15 or 20 feet high. I don't know. But cherubims and, and their wingspan and made of pure gold going across the whole uh, most holy place. And then chains of gold. And then underneath it is the Ark of the Covenant. And the floor is laid with gold. And so the temple here uh, is a magnificent structure, much larger than the tabernacle that was out in the wilderness. We know that uh, there was three-story buildings, uh, the outer buildings, large courtyards, huge costly stones that made up the temple. And then there are some other furnishings and utensils that chapter 7 begins to tell us about. We read about the molten sea in verse 23, and he made the sea of cast bronze, 10 cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely uh, round. Its height was five cubits, and a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. So here is this molten sea that was about seven and a half feet high, 
15 feet across, 45 feet in circumference. And this molten sea was for the priest to wash in. But what it was is really was more like a swimming pool, um, as you look at it, because it, they, it could hold 15,000 gallons of water. So this huge, you know, molten sea made of, of bronze that is made, and then we see the, the, the oxen that supported this, this huge uh, basin, as we read in verse 24, below its brims were ornamental buds circling all around, 10 uh, to uh, a cubit, and all the way around the sea, and the ornamental buds were cast in two rows when it was cast. And it stood on 12 oxen, three looking towards the north, three looking towards the west, and three towards the south, and three looking towards the east. And the sea was set upon them, and their backs, uh, parts pointed inward. And it was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. So here were these 12 brass oxen supporting this, this huge uh, wash basin, as there were three of them that were facing north and three to the east and three to the south and then three to the west. And then we see some other carts and labors. And as we go through the rest of the chapter, I just kind of want to survey it a, a little bit. You can read all the, the specific details. But we read in verse 27, he also made 10 carts of bronze. Four cubits was the length, and each cubic, four cubits its width, and three cubits its height. And this was the design of the carts. They had panels, and panels uh, were between frames. And so these carts uh, were made, and on these carts were lavers that were used to wash the animals that were going to be sacrificed. Let's go down to verse 38. As you read in verse 38, then he made 10 lavers of bronze. Each laver contained 40 uh, um, bronze. Each laver contained 40 baths, and each laver was four cubits. On each of the 10 carts was a laver. And he put five carts on the right side of the house and five on the left side of the house. He set the sea on the right side of the house towards the southeast. So here are these carts, and these carts were lavers that were used to wash the animals that were going to be sacrificed. And they were portable, as, as you read the details, and again, we didn't read all of the details, but they were portable and they could be moved around. And these lavers uh, would hold 250 gallons of water. So they used that, and what we're going to see in the dedication of the temple, and there was a lot of animals that were sacrificed, and, and the people bringing their sacrifices now to the temple. This is a permanent structure. And it was when the children of Israel were going to come into the promised land, God had told them that I'm going to appoint a place for you to sacrifice. You recall that God had set up the sacrifices. It was a means for them to come and make atonement until Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came and died for our sins once and for all. And the Lord said there will be one specific place. Well, this is it. So with the nation being great and a great number of people, lots of sacrifices. So they had these lavers that were portable that they washed the sacrifices in. But as I think about this, for you and for me, what does it mean? It means that we can make application in this that you and I are to be living sacrifices for the Lord. And we can be living sacrifices for the Lord because we've been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's good news tonight. And my prayer is, is that all of us would be that living sacrifice, that you would just live for the Lord and enjoy the Lord, that you would be one that you desire to please the Lord and walk with him and, and to hear from him and abide in him. Be a living sacrifice because you are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
We have been cleansed. And so live for him and, and be a useful vessel for him. And that's what's going to be talked about in the rest of the chapter, all these furnishings of the temple, all these cups and bowls and basins and, and different things that were used. And all of these things would be sanctified uh, for the use of the Lord. And it was used for the purposes of the Lord. And you and I, as we are living sacrifices, we know that we are to be ones that we want to be used for the purposes of God. That's when our lives really, really have purpose. It's when we say, Lord, what is it that you have for me? I want to be a useful vessel for you. And I just yield to you and the opportunities that you give to me and the doors that you open up and how you gift me. And, and, um, and Lord, just to be a living sacrifice and allow him to do that work that he wants to do in you and then through you as you do just surrender yourself to him and knowing that God wants to do a good work. That he wants to use you exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask. So being a living sacrifice because we are washed by the blood of Jesus and then in verses 40 through 51 we see these furnishings uh, of the temple. Again, I'm going to do a little bit of a survey as we read this, but verse 40 uh, Hiram, or it might be translated Hiram in your Bible, made the lavers and the shovels and the bowls. So Hiram finished doing all the work that was to do for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. We also read the two pillars and two bowl-shaped capitals were on top of the two pillars. And you go through this. Um, we read in uh, verse 45 that there were pots and the shovels and the bowls and all these articles which... Uh, Hiram or Hiram made for King Solomon for the house of the Lord were brownish bronze. Verse 48, thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, the table of gold, which was the shoe bread, and the lampstands of pure gold, five on the right side, five on the left, in front of the inner sanctuary with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, and the basins and the trimmers and the bowls and the uh, ladles and, and the censers of pure gold and the hinges of gold. So even the hinges were made of gold for the doors of the inner room, the most holy place, and for the doors of the main hall of the temple. And then verse 51, So all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and gold and the furnishings. He put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. So all these you know, pots and shovels and bowls and cups were all made uh, by, in bronze and by silver. They had silver trumpets. All these things that are listed here and put into the treasuries of the Lord. Now it would be about 350 years later that Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem in 605 B.C. and he takes many of these, these furnishings and many of these utensils and cups and bowls and he takes them away just as it was prophesied by Isaiah the prophet 200 years previous to that, 605 B.C., and they were taken away and um, they were put into the pagan temple of Nebuchadnezzar. And you recall in Daniel chapter 5 that they brought out those cups to toast to the gods of the Babylonians, you know, and the gold and silver Babylonian idols and, and gold uh, or stone and, and wood, and then there was a handwriting on the wall. That, that was all made by Hiram here. That was all in Solomon's temple that was taken away by Nebuchadnezzar, taking all these furnishings away. So there's a lot of things that are in the treasuries of the Lord here in this temple. But I want to highlight a couple things. First of all, that notice that there were ten menorahs, the seven-branch menorah in Solomon's kingdom. 
just as there was 10 lavers that five on one side and five on the other side out in the outer courtyard. Well, in the temple itself, the first room, the holy place, instead of one branch menorah, like in the tabernacle, there was 10 of them. And on the right-hand side, instead of one shoe bread table with 12 loaves of bread, there was 10 of them. So this is a much larger structure, and, and it's not according to the pattern of the tabernacle. So that's one thing to notice. But uh, for us tonight, in verse 40, that it says that Huram finished doing all the work that was to do for King Solomon. And we also read in verse 51, so all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. So I want to encourage you tonight that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. So as we talk about being a living sacrifice, will you just yield to him? And that's good news for me, that, that he who has begun a good work in me, that he's begun that work, and he will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. And I can rest in that promise, and I can stand on that promise, that, Lord, that you are going to bring that work to completion so that we can finish the work by his grace, by his working in us. So I hope that all of us, that we can just rest in that. That we would have in our hearts, yes, that, Lord, I want to finish the work that you have for me. Just as it said that Moses, as you read the end of the book of Exodus, it says that Moses finished the work that the Lord had for him to do. It, it reminds me of, of, of you know, uh, Noah, when he built the ark. It said that Noah finished the work of building the ark. I'm glad that he did. And, and as we see that Jesus, he would cry out from the cross, it is finished, right? And I'm very thankful that Jesus cried out, it is finished. Because as he cried out, he said that I provided the work, I paid the price for your sins. And now that he who has begun to work in us as we come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ for what he has done on dying on Calvary's cross for our sins, that maybe for me, this is just a verse that has brought a lot of comfort to me over the years of ministry because I can think, Lord, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And, and Lord, there's no way that, that you're going to finish the work that you've begun in me. There's no way that um, I can do these things. All those feelings that you ever had any of those feelings? That, Lord, am I doing any good? Lord, am I going to have the strength to get through this? Am I going to be able to do that? To be the, the, the father that you've called me to be, to be the husband, to be the pastor of this church, I know that I cannot do it in and of myself. That I would fall flat on my face if I even took one minute to try to do it. I don't want to live, listen, one minute outside of his grace. I want to completely depend on the Lord. And what my hope and prayer is, is that we would as well in our lives and being the men and women of God that he's called us to be and being the husbands and wives and the mothers and the fathers and the grandparents that he's called us to be, whatever that means for you in your life, that, that the Lord wants to finish that work in you and all we have to do is just rest in him and abide in him and just abide in his love and allow him to do that work and he'll complete that work in us. He promised to do it. Being confident of this very thing is what Paul writes to the Philippian church. In other words, he says, I am so sure of it, no question about it, that he who has begun a good work, and I'm so glad that he began the work and that he's going to finish it. And Lord, I just want to be available and I want to yield to you, being that living sacrifice. And just as you allowed 
Hiram here and Solomon to finish the work and Moses to finish the work as we read in Exodus and, and, and Noah to build the ark. He finished the work. We can finish the work as well. I can finish the work because Jesus Christ, he did the work of my salvation. As he cried from the cross, it is finished. So here is the, the temple. And now in chapter 8, what we're going to see is the dedication of the temple. And we're just going to spend a few minutes uh, in chapter 8. We're not going to go through all of it. But we read in chapter 8, verse 1, Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they may bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is in Zion. Now the city of David, we've talked about that, was um, included in the city of Jerusalem at this time. When Solomon was building the temple, remember that this is a time of great prosperity and peace. So the city of Jerusalem has expanded to where it includes now that very southern edge, which would be the city of David, and also Mount Zion. In Jesus' time, the old city walls of Jerusalem would include the city of David and Mount Zion. So it's all part of Jerusalem at this time. And you recall the Ark of the Covenant, that was the only furnishing that was in the Holy of Holies. So you walked into the holy place, the first room, only the priests were allowed to go into the holy place. None of the other people of the 12 tribes of Israel, they could bring their sacrifices to the priests, but only the priests, the direct descendants of Aaron, could go into the temple. And so there's the you know, ten menorahs and shewbread tables and the altar of incense. And behind that altar of incense was a veil. And then the Holy of Holies here that is going to be described to us again, the Ark of the Covenant was the only furnishing in the Holy of Holies just as it was in the tabernacle. And that box that was about three feet long, two feet wide, that it was brought in and then it had a lid on it called the mercy seat. And that's where the high priest would walk in. He was the only one that was allowed to go behind the veil once a year on the Day of Atonement, according to Leviticus chapter 16, right? So he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to make atonement for the sins of the nation. So that is being brought into the Holy of Holies. And you recall that the Ark of the Covenant had been in the city of David ever since 2 Samuel chapter 6. That David brought the Ark of the Covenant from Kirjath Jerim, that the Ark of the Covenant went from Shiloh in 1 Samuel chapter 4 as it was captured in war against the Philistines. The Philistines captured the Ark. They, it went to Philistine country. The Philistines sent it back to Israel on a cart and it ended up in Kirjath Jerim for about 20 years. Then David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of David. So this is the most important furnishing that's going to be placed into the temple in the Holy of Holies, and that is the Ark of the Covenant. And we read in verse 3, So the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the Ark. So according to the book of Numbers, chapter 4, the Levites were to carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. So that's what they were to do. That was their responsibility. The Levites, uh, one of the families of the Levites, the Kohathites, I believe, were the ones that carried the Ark of the Covenant. They were not priests. Not every Levite was a priest, but every priest was a Levite. Okay? So as you go through the book of Numbers, there were three families of the Levites that would help in assisting the priests in their ministries, and one of those was to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And we see that in verse 4, they brought up the Ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. 
and also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with them were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered in multitude. So this is a huge, great celebration and includes a great number of sacrifices as we read in verse 5 and then verse 6. And then the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. And the poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside, and they are there to this day. And nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. So it's interesting here. We know that at this time, this is about 970 you know, B.C., around that time frame, 960 B.C., that when the Ark of the Covenant, you know, after 500 years, it had been around and gone from the wilderness to Shiloh to Kirjath-Jerim to the city of David, that all that was in the Ark of the Covenant at this time was those two tablets of stones, the Ten Commandments, that Moses brought down for Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. They, they weren't huge stones because that box was only three feet long by two feet wide. So I guess they could be fairly good size, but um, the Ten Commandments on those stones, I believe that all Ten Commandments was on one stone, all Ten Commandments on the second stone. The reason I, I think that, that's just my own personal opinion, is because it's a covenant. And whenever there's a covenant, it's, it's like, here's God's copy, here's man's copy, the children of Israel. So here were those two tablets put in. But we also know that according to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 4, it tells us that there was a jar of manna put into the Ark of the Covenant and also Aaron's rod. It is confirmed, the jar of manna, according to Exodus chapter 16. Moses was told, put a jar of manna into the Ark of the Covenant, that manna that fell in the wilderness, and it reminded the children of Israel of God's provision. And you recall that at one time in the book of Numbers, that the children of Israel, that they complained against God's provision, and they murmured and complained, and, and so God was not pleased with it. And we need to be reminded of God's provision, that he has provided for us, and he's been good for it, to us. He's provided salvation and forgiveness of sin. The greatest need that we've had is exactly that. And he's provided that for us. Plus, he's provided so much, you know, in our lives and in our provisions. So there's that, that jar of manna, according to Exodus 16, and then Aaron's rod. You remember what Aaron's rod was all about? I won't go into details, but Numbers chapters 16 and 17, there was this rebellion against Aaron and Moses. They were challenging Aaron's ministry as a priest. And, and so God said, Bring a rod from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, put it into the temple, and the one that buds is the one that proves that I have called them to, to be to the priestly ministry. And, of course, Aaron's rod budded, showing that Aaron and his descendants would be the ones that were to be the priests. That was put into the Ark of the Covenant as well. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4 tells us those three things were in. We know that a jar of manna was put in, Aaron's rod was put in, according to the Old Testament text, but at this time only the Ten Commandments. So what happened to the other two things? I don't know. They don't know. We don't know. Somehow they got taken out. Who took them out? We don't know. And I just want to remind you, we don't know everything. And when we, the Bible doesn't say, we just leave it. 
And, and we know that right now, the only thing that was in was the two tablets of stone, the law. But over the law was the mercy seat, where they would bring, sprinkle the blood as a sacrifice. Folks, we're not under the law. Thank God there's a mercy seat. The mercy of God in our lives because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So here is the Ark of the Covenant that's put in. And as we finish tonight, verses 10 through 13, then we'll end there. And it came to pass, when the priest came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And then Solomon spoke, and he said, The Lord said he could dwell, would dwell in the dark cloud. And I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. This is the highlight of their nation, of their history in the Old Testament at this moment where the glory of the Lord filled the temple and, and so much so is so evident that that cloud, speaking of the Shekinah glory of God, that cloud that followed them in, in the wilderness wondering, Exodus chapter 13, it was uh, the cloud of glory that God would speak from uh, to the nation in Exodus chapter 16. It was the cloud of glory that would depart 350 years later in Ezekiel chapter 10 because there was idols, because there was a turning away from the Lord, the idol worship that, that was taking place and the idols placed in the temple, this temple that's being dedicated to the Lord. The idols were brought in and the glory of the Lord departed and it's one of the saddest portions of scripture in Ezekiel chapter 10 as you read about it. Ezekiel seeing the cloud of glory depart and then over the Mount of Olives. I just want to end with this. The Lord dwells in our hearts. So what my prayer is that there wouldn't be things in there, in our hearts. And I know that our hearts are desperately wicked. But Lord, I just wanted to have your glory and Lord, you that sit on the throne of my heart as I surrender to you. You have the glory of the Lord in you. And what my prayer is, is that we wouldn't make room for anything else. You know, other junk that comes in and stuff that interferes. But Lord, just your glory that's in my heart being manifested to others. And Lord, you have chosen that this temple that is us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And that's a marvelous truth, isn't it? It's incredible. Lord, I just desire to bring glory and honor to you. So, Father, we thank you. And, Lord, we thank you for this time in the study of your word. And, Lord, that as we see this glorious time of the temple being dedicated, the glory of the Lord shone, and so much so that Oh, the, the priest had to stop ministering. And so, Father, I, I just want to pray that, Lord, that your glory would be manifested in our hearts. Lord, I know that there are things that come into our hearts during the day and in our lives that, Lord, that we need to give to you. But, Lord, as you dwell in our hearts, that you're at home in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. May it just be our desire that, Lord, that we bring glory and honor to you. 
Father, I pray that we would be ones that we would not only be ones that we know the gospel, but we live the gospel. That, Lord, that we would live the cross. Lord, that we would just rejoice in what you have done. Again, as you cried out from the cross, it is finished. Father, may we just marvel at your love and grace that has been bestowed upon us. I pray that.